you turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, the fourth chapter, um, we're going to begin uh, talking about uh, when Christ will come for his church. Uh, and uh, we are excited about that. I've had some questions about that in the last months, um, most, most of which were like, When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen soon? Could it happen today? I don't like what's going on today. Uh, can it happen soon? Um, we are a, a church that has just studied the book of Daniel, and uh, especially that latter portion of Daniel shares with us about the 70 weeks uh, that Daniel was revealed uh, to by the angel and explained about the, the 69 weeks and then the 70th week that seven-year period, period of the rise and rule and reign of Antichrist, uh, Little Horn. And uh, we remember that God was speaking to Daniel about his people, the chosen people of God. And as we looked at that in the book of Daniel, we see the promises for Israel. And then as we are uh, looking at mostly the New Testament in our church, the promises for the church. And uh, you realize that as you go through the history of the Bible, you know, the Old Testament, mostly dealing with God's people and how he chose them. And, and then you come to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the Messiah has come, Jesus, the Messiah. And you realize that uh, the Messiah was rejected by the Jews, was rejected, that Jesus was rejected. Um, you see that in John 10, but you also see it uh, on the way to the cross. Even the, the Jews, um, both uh, when he came into the city chanting uh, for him, uh, thinking of the hymn of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the one that's going to come, they're super excited. And then a few days later, they yell, crucify him. And the rejection of God's people of the Messiah, Jesus, which as you think about the history, okay, Old Testament, four gospels, then what happens in the book of Acts? The book of Acts, something new happens, something special, and the birth of the church, the beginning of the church, and then as you look through the New Testament, for the most part, both Jews and Gentiles, those who have trusted in Christ, are connected and enveloped in this thing called the church, the church that's trusting in Jesus Christ, united in Jesus Christ. And now we look forward to, that's where we are right now in the church, in church history. We are part of church history, but we're looking forward to the, the plan that God has for the future. And so that's what I want to talk to you about uh, now today. Uh, specifically the rapture of the church. Um, I'd like to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you starting in verse 13 uh, down through verse 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, 
that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. God, we do pray for your confidence and strength and peace and encouragement that comes from knowing what's going to happen next. God, do your work in us now as a church. May we be a church who is faithful to you till the end. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what's next? What's next? Um, it's funny, uh, as we, you, you think of your life, I don't know how old you are, you can just say it where you are. I'm 52. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not as old as he is. And others of you are saying, just a spring chicken. Um, uh, we look at our lives and we, we wonder what's next. And uh, for those of you who are older, uh, you, you know this feeling that maybe in your 20s, you saw something crazy in our world and you go, wow, that's pretty crazy. Can't get much crazier than this. And then it got crazier. And then it got crazier. And then 2020 came. And then 2021 came, you know. And you, you, you say to yourself, well, it can't get much crazier. Uh, it, it can't. It can't. And I just want to tell you, we don't know. We don't know. Um, there is a, a, a clear uh, teaching in Scripture, both in Daniel and Revelation, that it will get crazier. It will. Whatever we're experiencing today, there will be more uh, chaotic, catastrophic events of the future um, that no one has ever seen before. And so that's hard for us to imagine, especially those of you who are older, because you've seen a lot. And, and you say, well, I've seen it all. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Um, and so as we look to the scripture today, uh, we're asking the question, what is next? As you think about the, the, the church at Thessalonica, the two, um, the two books of the Bible that were written to the church at Thessalonica by Paul, uh, they were a church that was waiting, not working. They were waiting, not working. They were a church that was excited about the return of the Lord and uh, what was going to happen, but it was a distraction to them. And so uh, they, you know, I, I picture them as the people of the coffee shops, uh, sitting around all day and philosophizing about what's happening next and what's going on in the world. And specifically in this passage, we're, uh, Paul is addressing those who have died in faith died in faith. And so he writes this paragraph in light of really all the events of the day of the Lord coming in, in the next chapter. Um, he writes this specifically uh, that they would not be confused or uninformed, but that they would be not grieving, but hopeful 
And when I say hopeful, it's not like the idea of hopeful, like, I hope the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. Come on. Um, but uh, it, it's the idea that, that hope, that hope this this confident thing that we go for. We know that it is coming. We don't know the details of it. We don't know the time of it. We don't know the exact things of it, but we know that it is coming. That's the kind of hope we're talking about today. Confident expectation. You think about what it is to die without Jesus. Maybe some of you have gone to memorial services or funerals like that. People have died without Jesus. And I want to encourage you and think through what you saw there. What you saw at a funeral without Jesus. It's all man's accomplishments. It's history. And we try to celebrate the life of someone and there's always something to celebrate. But when you think through life without Jesus at death, empty. It's meaningless. It's hopeless. There's a sense of grieving that could come for that for a lifetime. But as he focuses on those who have trusted in Christ, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. We want you to know that as you grieve, you grieve differently. Grieve as those who have hope. Why? Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I want you to get that. I want you to see that. That Jesus died and rose again. That, that we've, because we've placed our hope and trust and belief in Jesus, everything's different. Everything's different. I want to tell you, everything's different. Everything's different as you see uh, your kids. Everything's different. Everything's different when you consider your career now, some of you are struggling with that right now. Because of Jesus, everything's different as you look at the job that you have. Everything's different as you look at your home and, and as you look at your cars and your kids and their schools and everything's different. Why? Because it now puts a confidence in all the days of the future knowing that Jesus has you. There's this, most of us remember this as a kid most of us went through a time where we are afraid of dying. You know, a monster in the closet is going to come and get me and eat me, and I'm afraid to go to sleep. And, and you think about that, and you, you realize, oh, you know, I don't want that to happen. And there's a fear that goes on, and it could go on for a long time. Even some of you struggle with it now. But the cure for that is flicking on the lights and looking that there's no monster. But, uh, uh, but the, the cure for our fear of death is that we would not be trusting in our own works, which leave us feeling guilty and not able to get out of this life, and we're lost and we're guilty, and we know that we deserve punishment. The, the remedy for that is what? It's Jesus. Believing in him, trusting in his death, his burial, his resurrection. The difference in this passage between grieving without hope and being fearful about the future is just simply this, that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Simple faith, simple faith. I would even say mustard seed faith, right? 
you know, just the smallest amount of faith to trust in Jesus, a, a childlike faith. We don't have to understand everything, but we have to understand that Jesus paid it all, that he was the one, he died and he rose again. Verse 14, for, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring uh, with him those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a nice way of saying died. Um, those who have fallen asleep, he's going to take care of those who have died. For this we declare to you by, from the word of the Lord, uh, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's going to explain it. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Since we believe in Jesus, means everything, it makes a difference, there will be a loud announcement. You, you see this, the Lord descending, there'll be a cry of command, voice of the archangel, sound of the trumpet, um, and this is what it says will happen immediately after that. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have died, those who have gone before us, they will have a bodily resurrection at that time. I'll get uh, over to that in a minute. But this loud announcement, uh, you have the descending of the Lord, the dead will rise first. And then it says this, uh, uh, sound of trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. What you have at this loud announcement is the dead in Christ rising first and the live, those who are here on the face of this earth who have trusted in Jesus, not all, but all who have trusted in Jesus will rise with them and be caught up together. That word rapture that we call it is a Latin word, uh, caught up for the Greek word harpazo. It's the idea of being snatched or removed. And what you have is this picture of uh, you going about your day, of you. How many of you um, have some messes in your life right now that you're having a tough time cleaning up? I just wanted some confession. I just wanted some confession. We're not Catholic, but every once in a while, we got to do confession. I'm not a priest either. Um, what were you talking about? Harpazo, right, snatched, okay? The picture is, and, and, and what this is, I, I, I want to encourage you about this. Um, the message to the church at Thessalonica is keep plugging away, knowing that uh, God's got uh, the rapture as well as one day he's going to come and judgment. Knowing those things, keep plugging away, keep working, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Sometimes that's hard because some of you like to uh, have everything done. Everything done. How many of you like to have everything done? Probably all of us, but how many of you are like uptight about it and it stresses you out? You know who you are. Don't point. Some of your spouses are like. Um, the picture here is this. Without warning, without uh, a prelude of any sort, it's just you're gone. You're gone. And some of you go, 
oh, but the dishes aren't done. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you about something and don't plan for this, okay? But when the Lord returns, I hope you have a mountain of dishes (laughs) and you haven't folded laundry and put it away. I hope that there's garbage in your kitchen, like it's mounded. I hope all all those things. Because that would be a picture of the reason that he's returning. It's taking us out of this world, of of removing us from the difficulty of this world. Being snatched, being removed, being caught up together. What, What you see here in this passage is that he himself will come. That there'll be this loud pronouncement The dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with those who are dead, who have been resurrected as well. We will be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. So what you have is we meet him in the air, and there's this permanent being with the Lord uh, for the resurrected believers as well as those who are alive who have come to meet him. And, you know, sometimes uh, it's just a great conclusion that the Lord puts in his word. Uh, it's like falling off a log and obvious, what, right? Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is an encouragement to you. If you've trusted in Christ. This is going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know when. We'll talk about that for a little bit. I want to share with you a couple other verses. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. And forgive me, um, forgive me, Larry, because we have 10 passages today uh, and we're only on number two. Um, we're going to get moving here. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. There, there's only a few, and I want to tell you this, there's only a few passages about the rapture. And what you have, if you, if you can think about it this way, God is primarily dealing with his nation, Israel. And at the point of rejection, the focus turns to the church. And at some point in the future, I believe at this time, this rapture time, it turns back uh, to his people, the chosen ones. Um, and there's, we're going to talk briefly about that this morning. But listen to this. The second passage that you can point to, uh, the rapture, is 1 Corinthians 15. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it's all about the resurrection, um, the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. Verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He's not saying all mankind will be changed. He's saying all those believers in the church... Corinth, he's focusing on them and he says, you can look forward, all of you, to being changed, this mystery that's going to come about. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, uh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. This is a, once again, a, a parallel passage, right? It's a similar, same thing. The, the, Dead will be raised first, imperishable, and we will be changed. This is what's going to happen. All be changed, imperishable, resurrected bodies like Jesus. Which brings us to John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus shared of this coming, 
In John chapter 14, verse 3, it says, And if I go I, and prepare a place for you, I will come again, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. What you can do with this 1 Corinthians passage in John 14 is you can see the parallels with the 1 Thessalonians passage, right? Uh, it, 1 Corinthians saying, be changed. And Jesus saying in John 14, I'm going to come again. And what am I going to do? I'm going to take you to myself. I'm, uh, you know, knowing from what he's saying from 1 Thessalonians, I will meet you in the air, um, that where I am, you will be also. You will always be with me. Uh, These things go together and we can rejoice. Now, when we looked at it, Daniel, uh, when it talks about uh, the end time stuff, that 70th week, seven years. In the middle of those seven years is what event? The abomination desolation, right? This uh, uh, awful desecrating of the temple. And there's seven years. There's a seven-year clock. It's not going to go longer. It's, it's going to be this period of time. What we know at... Oh, oh. I blame it on the horse people. Uh, present company excluded, okay? Um, anyways, um, what was I talking about? Seven years. Got it, got it, got it. I'm back on track. Um, I'm a grandfather. I'm an old guy now, you know. Um, seven years, seven years. At the end of those seven years, you realize, well, first of all, during those seven years, there is judgment, judgment of the Lord and the whole earth culminating, culminating in his pouring out of his wrath at the end, okay? This is what is pictured during this time. It's a great tribulation. Uh, it's, it's judgment that is coming, okay? And so we have two events that we many times uh, don't distinguish against, or uh, opposed to, okay? The, the rapture and the second coming of the Lord. And what I, what I want you to picture is, first of all, in 1 Thessalonians, it says, meet him in the air. That's the meeting place, okay? And in uh, the, the end, as it speaks of the second coming of Christ, he is coming down. He is coming down uh, to both bring about wrath, his judgment, but also uh, to set up his kingdom, okay? Anyways, I want to point out some distinctions, and you can just jot these down. Um, if we would have went through all these passages, it would have been 40 passages, and I didn't think that was appropriate for a Sunday morning first service. Second service, they're going to get it. Um, <laughs> but um, the distinction between the rapture and the second coming, uh, the first one I would say is this, signs and no signs, signs and no signs. When, when, you, when you see uh, about the rapture, there's no signs for it. There's no signs. There's no connection. Once you see this, then the rapture's coming. There's no signs for it. When it's spoken of about the second coming of Christ, there's a couple of different places. Matthew, uh, specifically, where it talks about these are the signs that will happen. These will be uh, the things before uh, it's coming. And even as we look at the book of Daniel, 
uh, he gives us details before that judgment from the Lord will come. Signs, no signs. Secondly, a distinction between the rapture and the second coming are blessings, blessings, and judgment or purpose, okay? So um, why is Jesus coming for his church? Why? Well, what's the purpose? What's the motive of the Lord? Even as he said, uh, I read earlier in John, um, he says, uh, you know, the simplicity of going to preparing a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself. What is that? That's blessing. That's blessing. But when you look at the book of Revelation and the purpose of the second coming, uh, it is not blessing anymore. It's about letting unravel the sins of man and his bringing about judgment on the ungodly, but not just the, the whole earth, the whole earth. So signs, no signs, blessing, judgment. Thirdly, the setting up of the kingdom. As Jesus spoke of his second coming, he kept talking about, I'm going to set up my kingdom. My kingdom will come. And this is what is going to happen. As you look at the book of Revelation, you see the chronology of what is going to happen with all the judgments. And after he comes is the setting up of his kingdom, his thousand year reign. When you look at the purpose of uh, the the rapture, it is simply to take his people home. It is no long is not to set up his kingdom. Um, it is to bring them to himself. Fourthly, you see glorified bodies in the rapture. You do not see that in the second coming of Christ. There's this uh, over and over again. It's focusing on these resurrection bodies that we will have: the dead first, and the those who are alive second. Fifth, uh, the meeting in the air, meeting in the air or the meeting down here. Uh, Jesus is met in the air. Uh, in the second coming, he comes down to the earth. Um, can't read, can't figure out what I meant by that one, so I'll skip it. Um, the position or the end of what happens after after uh, the rapture, where are God's people? They're in heaven. Or where's Jesus? He's in heaven with them, right? And in the second coming, there's this coming down to earth and this setting up and this raining down on earth. The position of Jesus is heaven and earth uh, as we look at that. I think, it's, I think we're on number six. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about uh, the mystery, the mystery. And it's interesting as you think about mysteries, um, he talks about it in a, as a mystery, but that wouldn't fit for the second coming of Christ because the second coming of Christ is a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament, including all that we've gone over in the book of Daniel, speaking of his second coming. But now as the church is in focus in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. It wouldn't be a mystery if it had already been spoken of. And so you have the distinction between the rapture being a mystery that is being revealed in the New Testament and the second coming being prophecy that's prophesied about um, in great detail um, 
not enough for us. We always want more, but uh, great detail about the second coming. And lastly, I'd just say this. If you look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, I'm not asking you to do this now. Uh, The book of Revelation starts out describing Jesus, describing him and all his majesty in this amazing picture. Chapters 2 and 3, they chart about churches, churches that are different kinds of churches and specific churches in history. And then what happens in chapter 4? The church is gone. It's just gone. You know, after the whole New Testament, uh, being the focal point of the church, you know, the church, the church, the church, and then even in Revelation, as you read it, chapters 2 and 3, the church, you see the church present, but then in the latter parts of Revelation, you see the church absent, absent, so present and absent. So we see the rapture as being distinct from the second coming where the Lord will come for his church. Now, um, many of you great theologians that we have here at Bear Valley Church are saying, well, aren't there different views on the the rapture? Yes, there are. Uh, And some people are right and some people are wrong. Um, And I just would include myself in that too. I may be wrong. I don't think I am uh, because of the scriptures that I just shared with you. Um, I believe that the rapture will happen before this seven-year period and really will kick it off after the church is gone. Um, That that would be considered the pre-tribulational, and don't get lost in that, pre-seven-year, pre this idea that we escape those seven-year period pre-trib. And I realize some of you have um, uh, said to me that, well, you're just choosing the one you want. I I realize it sounds great, and it is great, uh, but I also believe it's true. So anyways, uh, there are others that believe in a mid-trib position, kind of towards the middle, uh, even as I shared with you. There are others that believe in a pre-wrath rapture of the church somewhere in the middle of that second uh, section of seven years. And then there are those who believe in a post-tribulational rapture. I'm sure there's other ideas as well. I want to share with you why I believe um, some passages that will help us think through why at the beginning, why at the beginning, not just because it sounds nice, but because of what God has revealed to us in his word. John 16, 33. Okay. John 16, 33. And this is kind of the basis for life right now. It's something we should really remember right now. Uh, This is Jesus. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you might have peace. You may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now he's speaking to his disciples and maybe some other people laying around. But what is the message there? Right now, what you're doing in following me, you will have tribulation. Um, Some of us, uh, when we begin to struggle, we say, this can't be, where's the Lord? 
where's the Lord? And, and, and I want to tell you that, that he warned us about days like this. Tribulational days here on this earth as a normal part of living for Christ. And I, I want to warn you, it might get worse. Thanks for the warning, Pastor. Um, it might get worse. Um, from time to time, uh, Pastor Heiner over at Country Oaks and I talk on the phone. And um, we see each other. We've known each other for a very long time. And I love that guy. But um, we, we were talking about just, you know, what, what's going on in the church, how we're trying to lead. And, and uh, he said, you know... I've been telling the church that we might not be able to meet in this facility sometime in the next five years. And I said, well, how do you think I feel? We're remodeling our sanctuary, you know? Um, and that could be a real thing. That could be a real thing. I don't believe it is, but it could be. Some of us uh, would struggle and go, oh no, why is the Lord doing this? I want to tell you, Uh, He warned us about this. There's going to be tough times in this life. And the warning for us is uh, that they're going to come, but also verse uh, 33 says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's not, he's not going, he's not a defeated foe of the enemy. It says, oh no, the, the Satan's got control of this world and I don't know what to do. He says, no, don't worry. I've overcome. So know this, that we will have present tribulation. It's very important to this, present tribulation. We will have tough times in this life for following after Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 9 through 10. And remember, this is to the church at Thessalonica, which is where we started this morning. It says this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you've turned uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 9 is all about that they have trusted in Christ. Verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want you to get this. What are they doing? Waiting for the son from heaven, who's risen from the dead. But who is he? Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Now, I want you to get this. Tribulation present is is real, is real. Tribulation present But in 1 Thessalonians, Paul points to a time in the future that the church, God's people, who've repented, who've turned from their idols to the living and true God, who are waiting for Jesus, who's going to come from heaven to do what? To deliver us from the wrath to come. He's going to deliver us. What does that sound like? I'll tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. It's this picture of a bad times, significant bad times, times like we've never seen before that the Lord 
preserves us from and takes us out of. The wrath that is to come, future wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. This is really the passage. And think through chapter 4 we looked at. This is chapter 5. Uh, speaking of uh, this Day of the Lord event picture at the end of the seven years, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. What do we learn from that is that we are not destined for wrath, but salvation. So you start putting this together. There is tribulation in this earth. There's tribulation coming. This tribulation that's coming is in the future. It's a future wrath, a wrath that it says that Jesus delivers us from. And this wrath we are not destined for. Okay, we're getting there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. This is spoken of. Uh, remember what I told you about those, uh, those chapters, chapters 2 and 3. What are they? They're the church chapters. And as you look at uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, and this is to the church at Philadelphia. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. What does that sound like? That sounds like those seven years. Where is the church of Philadelphia? They will be kept from a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. This is what this points to. It's not, I want to be clear too. Um, As with most doctrine that comes from the Bible teaching, God's view on how things truly are, he doesn't have a page where he says, pre-tribulational rapture of the church. There's no verse that says that. In fact, uh, you, you can't find rapture in the church other than if you read Latin and you have a Latin Bible and it like these, these are very fine points, but know this, as you put them together, there's this picture of before those seven years, this tribulational time, the church will be uh, scooped up and raptured out. Um, so where are we? Revelation chapter three, verse 10, it says this, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on what? The whole earth, the whole earth. I want to just stop there and say this. Um, One of the things, and I'm not trying to be a prophet nor a son of a prophet or anything like that. Um, One of the things that in my mind is a sign of the times, and I say this because of what we studied in the book of Daniel, is the whole world thing. The whole world thing. And what do you mean? Uh, Well, anything that's a whole world thing, it should trigger in your mind. If there's um, the whole world trying to get a peace treaty going, that should trigger you in your mind. If there's a a ruler of the whole world, and by the way, um, has that ever been a good idea? A whole world ruler. Uh, In the book of Daniel, it goes over 
you know, these different kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and, and the Romans, and it, it never sees these as good things. Why? Because there's power in just a few, and there's millions of people that they don't care about. And this idea that they come together for selfish means, and anyways, it's never a good idea. And so when you hear, when you hear whole world, that should trigger you in your mind and say, huh, that's part of, you know, what this is going to look like. It may not be. It may not be. Um, I, I want to tell you, this is what I find to be different about what's going on in the world right now. Whole world pandemic. How'd that happen? You know, uh, how, how is it that the whole world is trying to do the same thing and fighting the same causes and trying to get together? And I go, that, that sounds weird to me. Um, and so anyways, what were we talking about? Revelation chapter three, uh, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. That seven year period. One of the things that you will see is one world ruler, governments together, currency, all these things coming together, one world. And on that one world, there will be bad times for all. Some connected with being under the ruler of Antichrist, but also experiencing the wrath of God on the whole world. Uh, but the church, faithful church, is kept from the hour of trial. Kept from the hour of trial. Okay, we move on. Um, and this one will go fast. Zach read uh, from, I believe, Revelation chapter four, a couple weeks ago, four, chapter four, where you have this, who is worthy? Who is, who is worthy to, to uh, open the seals, the scrolls? How, who's worthy? There's no one worthy. And then it is found that Jesus is worthy. And what happens, and you see Revelation chapter six, verse one, uh, you see Jesus beginning and uh, beginning really these wrath, the opening, the beginning of what is to happen during this seven-year period. I want to point this out. Jesus is the one worthy of opening the seals. And at that point, that is the beginning of the judgment and tribulation. As we see this, we, we realize this, that, that all the, all history is pointing to this time. But we are not part of that because of being part of the church, because of these verses that I've shared with you prior. This picture is that it is not man's doing, but it is Jesus doing and according to his timetable. And then uh, later on in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, we are moving along, right? We're getting there. Um, you'll see this, worldwide judgment. Um, Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, then the kings of the earth and the, and the great ones and generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and, and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the the face of him who is seated on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? I want you to hear that. What is going to happen during the tribulation is that money's not going to matter anymore. Did you see how power's not going to matter? Um, it's interesting. There are places that common people like you are kept out of, right? You can't go. You don't have access. And they, rich people, you know what they do? They hire security to keep you away from them because they're special, right? And they have special food sources and they have, they have stuff. They have walls to keep people like you out. I'm with you. They're keeping me out too. But in this passage, what does it say? It says that there is worldwide judgment. That the kings, who thought they were doing king stuff, right? That they thought that they were above all. I think it's interesting. It says the kings of the earth. But then it says, um, uh, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne. The kings thought they sat on the throne, but there's one seated on the throne that they're running from. Why? Because the worldwide judgment is coming. Um, Because of what Christ has done, because of who he is, the church escapes the judgment that is to come. And that should be thrilling for us. Now, uh, I want to say this. I talked about this earlier, Matthew, and Paul writes a little bit about this as well. The precursors to the tribulation. And I, I was listening to David Jeremiah. He's got some interesting stuff uh, going on right now, and I encourage you to uh, look that up. I think he's got a book coming out. Most of you don't read, but um, it's all in sermon form too, which I prefer because um, I don't like reading either. But um, the precur- he, he used this illustration that I think it's a good one. Um, what's the forgotten or uh, minimized holiday in the United States? Do you know what it is? Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Um, it's one of my favorites, uh, but not just for the food. Um, I prefer if they would have, the original pilgrims would have had prime rib. But um, um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, but it's the forgotten holiday, forgotten holiday. And I, I, how many of you have seen in the stores uh, that they already have Christmas stuff, Christmas stuff? And David Jeremiah says this, and I think it's an important point to remember, it may be helpful for you, is, is when you see Christmas ornaments, Christmas junk in the stores, you can know that Thanksgiving's coming. <laughs> right? Because, because it's before, right? You know that it's before uh, the, you know, the event that everyone's talking about. Thanksgiving is before Christmas. And you say, ah, Christmas trees. Thanksgiving must be coming, right? And I think that that's how you can hold the rapture and the tribulation. It's not that those events and signs of the times aren't true for the rapture, but it's not speaking of that, but those are signs. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. As I grew up, and maybe I just didn't get something as I was growing up. I remember hearing about this. I grew up, uh, I was born in 1968, so I didn't really, 
grow a brain or partial brain until the 80s. But uh, some of the 70s, you know, they were talking about the Lord's coming and the the Jesus movement, and a lot of that was going on. Uh, But I always thought that um, between the rapture of the church and the the seven years, and from all that coming, that it would kind of hit us uh, like out of nowhere, out of nowhere. Uh, And I'm beginning to think differently about that now. I think there are seeds of all the things that need to happen already going on. Even as we looked at um, Antichrist in the book of Daniel, and we, we were reminded through the New Testament that there's the spirit of Antichrist in the world, and there are Antichrists in the world, but that the Antichrist is the one that is to come, okay? And so I want to tell you that you're going to see, and I, I believe we're seeing seeds of things that will happen in that final tribulation. And for all those things, do not fear. Do not fear. Be encouraged that God has a plan. That's you keep saying, be encouraged. Why? Because there's a plan. And it's not for things to get better down here. It's for us to be raptured out of here. Let me give you four concluding thoughts because I couldn't get three, okay? Four concluding thoughts. The first one, and it seems so elementary, but it's, it's really, do not go past this. Do not think beyond this if this isn't true of you. The first thing when you hear a message like this is get ready. Get ready. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, and what I mean is simple, right? It's that you have trusted in him. It's not how much you've trusted. It's not how grand your faith is. It's that you've trusted in Jesus. You know that you're a sinner and you know that he's the savior and you're fumbling around trying to walk with him as your Lord. That's what it is. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're not ready for the rapture and you're definitely not ready for the tribulation. You're definitely not ready for it. If kings are running away, you will be too. It, it describes both in Daniel and Revelation as like no other, like no other. And so for you to be able to see, oh, I can handle things. I'm, I'm pretty tough. You know, I was in the military, you know. Uh, who cares about that? You will not be able to stand in that day. You will not be able to. And so you're not ready. But as a child, if you just come to Jesus and say, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm a lost sinner. I need a savior. I need someone to take, take over the rule of my life. Uh, Jesus, you're the one, you're the king. I worship you. You're mine. Trust in Jesus. Be ready. Get ready. I want to tell you the temporary stuff of this world, you know what it is? It's temporary. <laughs> it's temporary. Some of you consume yourself with temporary things. Your house, your job, your, your the events of your kids, like, right? I'm so stressed out. Why? It's my kid's first birthday. I want to say, it doesn't matter. He's not going to remember it. Okay. Uh, temporary, temporary stuff is temporary. Number two, uh, because of what we looked at in the rapture and the second coming, acknowledge and live like this world is not heaven and not a place for forever. 
as you set up your life, as you work and you, you fill your days, don't be setting up permanent things. Don't be concerning yourself with permanent life down here. Think about this life. Acknowledge and live like it is a temporary place and it's not heaven. It's not heaven on earth. Number three, work hard, work hard while we wait, while we wait. What does that mean? It means gospel living. It means going over the gospel with our own heart, but also sharing the gospel with, the, with our family and friends and people that God would put in your path. Gospel living, which is, by the way, gospel living is church living. Um, it's, it's not about this church. It's not about us um, being great or having more people. Uh, it's about us loving one another and doing what God wants to and serving in his church. Take care of your family. Take care of your family. Uh, provide for them. Who should discipline your kids? You should. Why? Because they're your kids. God's entrusted them to you. Raise them. Teach them the scriptures. Teach them how to confess. Teach them that Jesus is Lord. Teach them that mom and dad are sinners and they're struggling. Uh, teach them. Take care of your family. Provide for them. As God provided for you, provide for them. Work hard while we wait. And then lastly, I'd just say this. Get excited. Get excited. Jesus is coming. I want to I get back to that point because I think it's important. Some of you watch the news like, like you're going to win a million dollars on Jeopardy or something like that. You're like preparing. Uh, you watch the news and you're like, oh, I got it. And... Uh, how many of you get discouraged watching the news? Yeah. I, I want to tell you, get excited when you're discouraged watching the news. And you say, how can you do that, Pastor? Real simple. Rapture's coming. <laughs> Jesus is coming. And what is, he, what is he going to do? He's in the midst of this mess down here. He's going to snatch his church out of here. <laughs> Dead in Christ will rise first, and we will gather together, meet him in the air, and we'll be with him forever. That's what we wait for. God, thank you for this time. Pray for your church. I pray that this would be our hope, that we would not uh, hope in the temporary junk of this earth, that we would not hope in governments, one world governments, or better currencies, or some cool computer with chips and stuff. Lord, I pray that we would hope in you, the coming of your son Jesus for us. God, uh, comfort our hearts, help us to encourage one another, help us to remind one another that he is coming, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the only one worthy to be worshipped forever. God, we thank you for this time. It's in your Son's name we pray, amen.